Welcome back to Point of Insanity Game Studios, Geekery in General Podcast. I am, of course, as always, always will be, Al. And with me, my good friend and co-host, who is, as always, Steve. How's it going today, Steve? Going pretty well. Have you enjoyed the day that we can. Yep. Have you ever tried not being Steve? Because I've I've tried not being Al sometimes. Like, I, I tried to be Batman at work one time, but when I answered the phone saying that this is Batman, yeah, my supervisor wasn't too uh, happy about that. Well, considering uh, high school for two years thought my first name was Scott for some odd reason. Yes, that is true. Uh, who was it that thought your name was Scott? Was it the... Vice Principal. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I almost forgot about that. Yeah, they used to... But anyways. Well, it's actually appropriate that you brought up something from the past because this is going to be the first of a two-parter. Uh, Steve and I are going to take you on a little trip down memory lane. Specifically our memory lane as we talk about changing technology. So for these couple episodes, we're going to focus uh, mostly on uh, how some of the technology has changed in our, our lifetimes. So let's start our trip down memory lane with cable TV. Now, Steve, do you think that people today take cable TV for granted? I think nowadays... Cable TV is pretty much taken for granted. We're, we're now past the stage of cable TV, is how I, I would say it is. Yeah, that's true. I mean, really, if you think about it, with services out there like Netflix and uh, Hulu, uh, cable TV, it is getting kind of obsolete. I mean, I know uh, my wife and I, we've actually talked about dumping our cable just because we don't really use it anymore. and you know, most of the stuff we watch is on network TV. And if I do want to catch something that's not on network TV, I can usually just go to Netflix and, yeah, it's a lot cheaper. But I think one reason that we do kind of take cable TV for granted is it used to be a lot more expensive, and it's just gone through so many changes. So do you know approximate? do you remember approximately when you got cable TV back when we were kids? Uh, I definitely say we were young. I don't know if uh, we had reached our teen years when uh, at least my family got it. Yeah, because I think that was about that time. I mean, I, I believe your family was a little better off than mine when uh, we were kids. So I know there were some you know things that you had before I ever did. But yeah, I don't remember exactly when we got cable TV, but what were some of your first impressions of cable TV back in the day, back in the late 80s or so when we, we would have first got it? Well, definitely the biggest thing that I had enjoyed about cable TV is the greater options of uh, channels and programs. Yeah, I mean, that's, that is one thing. And again, this just shows how if we look back at how many channels we had then, with how much we had now, it's it's just amazing how much that aspect of cable TV alone has grown. I mean, I think when we first got cable, we got maybe an extra, like, 30 channels or so. Because uh, we had just, like, a basic package. And how many is uh, basic cable nowadays? 
yeah, basic cable nowadays is like over a hundred channels. Yeah, I mean, and that so that alone is just uh, you know just so amazing. And I think one of the things I always remember that was well, in a way, it was kind of cool. Remember the old little clicker boxes? Oh, uh, the old TV remotes. Yep. So yeah, it was in, uh, for. Of course, this was back before you know remote controls for cable were common. So what we had were there was this box that was maybe about a foot or so long, a few inches wide, a couple inches tall, and it was hardwired into the cable box. It gave you a pretty good cord, maybe like about 12, 15 feet or so, but it had this little clicker on it, this little triangle uh, clicker. And then the uh, there was this little window that had the numbers for your channels. So you had to click, 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 click until you got to the channel you wanted. And then, you know, usually you had to have the, uh, you know, those little cable guide sheets. Uh, you know, you need it, of course, because back then you didn't always have the little, uh, you know, identifying graphics on the TV stations. So, uh, you know, if you didn't know that, you know, what was on Channel 4, for example, well, then you had to pretty much go to Channel 4 and kind of look and see, okay, what's playing and maybe kind of guess from there. Also, remember the old program guide channels? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I, I can remember, you know, my grandparents, every time I went to go visit them when I was young, you know, their TV, they, they only had like 13 channels to play with, you know, max, and uh, it's like maybe a quarter of them you really didn't get any information from. It was just a static. So, yeah. of course, then the thing is, you know, in order to do anything with the TV, you had to get out of the chair walk over to the TV and either change the channel, turn it on and off, or adjust the volume. Yeah, because, again, oh, yeah, way before the, you know, the high-definition TVs where remotes were standard. You know, and actually, it's kind of funny. Maybe I'm dating myself. I even remember when my family got our first color TV. Because as I recall, we had black and white TV until I was around, I think, kindergarten or first grade. I think we still had black and whites for a little bit longer because I can remember uh, one black and white TV that uh, my family had that we gave to you so you could play video games on. Yeah, I remember that one. And But did you have, like, what about your main TV? I'm talking about our main TV. Um, oh, main TV? I think mine, as far back as I can remember, I think was colored. But, yeah, we did have, like, the kitchen had a smaller that was black and white. Yeah, because... Again, I said I remember having this TV. I remember when we were getting our color TV and it was a big deal. And again, I think it was around first or second grade because I remember when we were in at school, we were talking about the, the fact that The Wizard of Oz was going to be on TV. And with The Wizard of Oz, the first part of it is filmed in black and white. And then it switches to color. So, I mean, since my family had a black and white TV back then, I was wondering, well, we have a black and white TV. Is it still going to be in color? Is it going to switch to color for us? Like, thinking there was something magical that was going to happen. So, like I said, I, I remember it just being a big deal when we got a color TV. But, yeah, one of the things I remember about those old program guide channels, remember it had the little bars? Well, actually, it wasn't, the layout really wasn't, too too much different from the modern program guides you see in cable today but remember you just had that 
you know, these bars that would just scroll up and it would tell you what was going to be on TV for about the next usually 90 minutes to two hours. But it wasn't like today's program guides where you could, you know, scroll ahead or, you know, scroll up and down through the list as you wanted to. It was automatically moving up all the time. So if you accidentally missed what channel you were looking for, you had to wait a couple minutes before it came back again. So I don't know about you, but that's something I do not miss. Well, Neil, to say it, it's still around is uh, I know I've been to places where it has, you know, the TV built in TV guide where it's basically like you said, you know, it starts out at like channel two and then it scrolls all through like however many channels it, it deals with hmm. before it begins again. Yeah. And so what are some of the channels that you remember from way back in the day? Some of them ones that you watched uh, the most. Well, of the ones that came out, out new, you know, you had like uh, Nickelodeon. Then you had the music television station. I think the first one uh, that came out was, you know, MTV. Ah, yes. And, Remember when, what does the M and MTV stand for? Uh, music television. Yeah. Remember, their whole concept was to show nothing but music videos. Yeah, remember when MTV did show music videos as opposed to shows about, you know, reality shows about pregnant teenagers and whatever some celebrity is doing? Yeah, or the road rules or real world. Yeah, I you mean... Know, I did, you know, be near one of the real world filming. Yeah, and... Oh, they did a real world down in Hawaii? Yep. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, how long ago? Yeah, because... Uh, I think that was more around 98, 99 time frame. Yeah, because it is interesting because MTV and V... Uh, they also had a spinoff station, VH1, Video Hits 1, which uh, I guess they showed music videos for longer than MTV did. But, I mean, MTV was a big deal. I don't know if... Do you remember the old ad campaign where it's like they would have some rock star celebrity going, I want my MTV! Eh, been a while, but yeah, it, it does sound familiar. Yeah, because for a while MTV wasn't available in all areas because back in the day, you only had a certain number of cable transponders. So that meant that your cable company, you know, they they could only, well, this is another reason why usually your basic cable packages only gave you maybe about you know 20 or 30 extra channels. That's about all they could offer with the technology at that time. So part of the problem was if they wanted to add a channel and they didn't have any space in their, you know, their transponders, they had to, you know, they had to get rid of another channel, which of course is, you know, kind, could be kind of a hard decision. It's like, okay, if we add MTV, then, well, what do we do? Let's say we decide to drop arts and entertainment. Well, then that means we might lose customers that watch that channel, but really don't care about MTV. So yeah, I remember the I Want My MTV ads. And of course, back then, MTV focused mostly on rock uh, music. And then their spinoff, VH1, was more like adult, contemporary, uh, easy listening. So, you know, that alternative to the, you know, the rock and roll, the, the more youth-oriented music that MTV was uh, focusing on. 
And, you know, I remember eventually they did add Yo MTV Raps. And I don't think they ever got into any other genres, mostly rap, metal, because I remember I always used to watch Headbangers Ball with my sister at night. And then, of course, whatever was popular in rock, with like rock or alternative. Other stations you remember? Um, USA. Yep, USA. Yep, USA was another one of my favorite networks. And then, did you ever watch much of TBS? Yeah, you know, TBS, TNT, it's all owned by the same guy. Yep. You know, when I remember, now I don't know about you, but, well, you really weren't into pro wrestling back in the day, were you, or? Well, I I was somewhat. Yeah, because one of the things I was excited about when we got cable, USA, and I think it was TBS. They TBS or TNT offered, you know, WCW. Yeah, because back when we had network TV, the main wrestling shows I used to watch, Saturday night we had Saturday night's main event, WWF, and then uh, on Sunday morning we had uh, WWF Superstars of Wrestling. And do you remember the AWA? I, I remember it vaguely. AWA is interesting. I always kind of liked them better than WWF. AWA tried to be more realistic than WWF did. They didn't focus on all these zany storylines that, you know, were bordering on insulting your intelligence. They tried to focus mostly on the real wrestling. And unfortunately, AWA did eventually go under, but there's a lot of big names that actually got their start there. Um, does the name Hulk Hogan ring a bell? I think so. <laughs> yeah, Hulk Hogan. Uh, Jimmy Superfly Snuka got his start there. Larry Zabisco, Kurt Hennig, uh, Nick Bockwinkle, uh, Greg Gagne, uh, Vern Gagne. Oh, yes. And, uh, you know, Shawn Michaels, of course, right? Yeah. I believe he got his starter. You know, that was part of his early career because uh, him and Marty Jannetty used to be one of my favorite tag teams, the Midnight Rockers. And Sergeant Slaughter, I believe, got his start there. But, yeah, a lot of the real, you know, legends of professional wrestling today either got their start in AWA or they spent some of their early years there. But Cable really expanded my horizons with wrestling because not only could I catch WWF, but, you know, NWA, because I know now it's WCW. I don't know if WCW was separate from NWA or if uh, they eventually changed NWA's name to to WCW. And then occasionally you could catch local uh, federations that happen to have, you know, if you, if you were lucky enough to get a station from like, I don't know, Virginia or somewhere else uh, out west or down south, occasionally I could catch local promotions. So that I really loved. It really expanded my horizons for watching wrestling. In another channel, of course, USA we mentioned. What were some of the shows you watched on USA that you can remember? I know one program that I I usually watched while I could, while Dad was on business trips, was uh, the program that they had running for a while called USA Up All Night. Oh, yeah. Basically dealt with, you know, movies. 
that were like B-rated or something. Yeah, a lot of times they were, you know, either R, PG-13 type movies, stuff that usually were focused a little more towards adults. But yeah, I remember they had Gilbert Gottfried. He was one of the hosts. And then the other one, her name was, I think her first name was Rhonda. Yeah. Um, but yeah, oh yeah, I loved watching Up All Night. Remember Class of Newcomb High Part 1 and 2? Oh yeah. Yep, good old cheesy Traumaville movies. So I remember seeing those movies on uh, Up All Night. I think one night they had like an animation night where they, because I remember taping it, they had Heavy Metal, Vampire Hunter D, Robot Carnival, and there was some other Japanese animation movie I think they had. But um, yeah, there was, you could really catch some interesting movies on that on Up All Night. There's ones I, I can remember scenes from, but I just can't remember the name of the movie nowadays. It's been that long. Yeah, another one I remember was Phoenix the Warrior. And I remember Gilbert Gottfried introduced this one. It takes place after a nuclear war where most of the world's men have been pretty much killed. So men are like this valuable commodity. And most of the the, the heroes in this movie are women who are, of course, running around in bikinis. Makes sense, and right? <laughs> but yep. I remember Gil- Gilbert Godfrey was introducing, he's like, it's a Phoenix the Warrior. It's a movie about women who don't wear a lot of clothes, who fight other women who don't wear a lot of clothes. And the winner gets to not wear a lot of clothes. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about MTV. And Now, did you ever listen to much uh, Michael Jackson back in the day? Not really. Yeah, There's only like a few videos of his at that time that I was interested in. Yeah, because I think we can't really ignore the impact that MTV has had on uh, music and pop culture. And one of the reasons I remember Michael Jackson is because he had three videos, at least that I know of that I can remember, that were actually more like short movies as opposed to music videos. Of course, you know you know the first one, right? Thriller. Yep, Thriller. Uh, Bad. And then Smooth Criminal. I remember it was almost, some of these videos were actually hyped up like it was a new movie coming out. Um, And it was a big deal. I mean, I remember they used to actually tell you when they were going to be showing Thriller because it was such a popular music video. But I think one of the biggest impacts that MTV has on pop culture and music videos is since music videos were starting to move into a a medium or a station where they could be shown for most of the day, they started to put a little more effort into it. You know, so music videos became more like an art form. Because I don't know if you remember many of the videos before around the 80s. Like the Queen Bohemian Rhapsody. Yep. And, you know, Black Sabbath. I remember there was the, the videos for Iron Man or Paranoid. You know, usually a lot of early videos were footage of the band performing. But eventually with the, well, with this new media, the music video, they could actually start making, you know, more interesting and visually appearing video, appealing videos, maybe even ones with a bit of a story behind it. Any music videos that really stand out in your mind from this time? Not really. You know, MTV's very first one, you know, video killed the radio star. Yeah. 
appropriate, wasn't it? <laughs> yep. But one video that, well, there's a couple of videos that always stood out in my mind. I don't know if you remember Dire Straits, Money for Nothing. Uh, I've seen it a couple times. Yeah, because that one, of course, was notable for being uh, in early use of computer animation. But one that I always liked was Land of Confusion by Genesis. Do you remember that video? Or No, I can't say I have. Uh, look it up on YouTube sometime. Um, there's a video, there's a band called Disturbed that does an interesting cover of it. And they have an animated video that uh, I believe was uh, animated by Todd McFarlane. Which, it's cool, I really like that one. But the original, most of the uh, images in it were puppets. And it had a lot of 80s icons. And kind of the whole theme behind the video was, had, had featured Ronald Reagan, who was, of course, president at the time. But one of the things that was really kind of interesting is just watching the video to see how many of these puppet characters you could you could pick out. So, yeah, well, if you have a chance, go to, to YouTube and look up Land of Confusion by Genesis. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think one of the reasons that MTV ceased to become as relevant and is with, at least in the Internet ages, you know, now with sites like YouTube, you don't have to wait all day to see if a video you like is going to be on. You can go, you know, look it up and watch your favorite video whenever you want. Well, another part of our childhood that we remember, of course, are cartoons. And this isn't, of course, well, I don't know, would you consider cartoons having something to do with technology? A little bit, because you can definitely tell the early cartoons to the more present day ones. You know, the graphics are better and whatnot. Yeah, and uh, a lot of that was, of course, back in the day, they used to use uh, lower frame rates. So they would only have, a, you know, maybe like, you know, about 8 to 12 frames per second, you know, which is why we have these cartoons with very simplistic animation where, you know, as they moved on, you know, we started to get cartoons with more frames per second, which produced smoother, more realistic animation. And, of course, nowadays we have computer animation. You know, the early ones, you know, that I can remember are actually early Japanese cartoons came over to uh, the United States and make it and made it more Americanized. You know, the early ones I can remember is, you know, Speed Racer, Robotech, Voltron, Voltron Battleship Yamoto. Battleship Yamoto. I don't remember that one. Uh, what was that one like? Well, it's basically hard to explain right now, but the main concept is like, uh, the main battleship that they got is, you know, an old Japanese battleship, you know, staged in World War II, and it was space-worthy. Okay, so it was basically battleships in space? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I say, I don't remember that one. Uh, I remember the other ones you mentioned, you know, the Voltron, Robotech, um, Speed Racer, I've seen like a couple episodes, but it wasn't a show that I saw a lot of. But I don't know. One of the things I'd, I'd have to say with cartoons that has almost kind of changed, maybe in a way for the worse. Remember how back then cartoons were something you could anticipate? Yeah, you know, there were some cartoons that they had where it was like they had a new episode Monday through Friday before, you know, 
instead of going, yeah, we're going to have a new episode once a week. Yeah, and of course they were only on at a certain time, so if you weren't there to watch it, you know, you didn't see it. You know, of course nowadays, you know, kids, it's like they're they're kind of lucky, I guess, because most cable uh, services offer a recorder with their, you know, or a DVR so you can record your shows. You know, of course, if you miss something, you can usually catch it on Hulu or Netflix or, you know, I'm sure there's also other, you know, other websites that'll let you watch cartoons. But yeah, it's because it didn't, it's not like today where you have Cartoon Network and uh, Boomerang and The Hub and these networks that specialize just in children's programming. Because remember back in the day, you know, usually you had maybe cartoons from about 6 a.m. to maybe about 8 a.m. Because, of course, that's when you, you know, after then you'd have to start going to school. And then usually in the afternoon, cartoons started up around 2, 2.30 and continued until about 5 o'clock. Because that way you could watch it when you're after school. You know, you didn't have these networks that just showed cartoons all the time. So you think kids are almost kind of spoiled nowadays? Oh, yeah. Other than channels just dedicated to nothing but anime or cartoons and whatnot. When we were young, we were lucky that we were able to see it. You know, we weren't having our parents going, well, before you can watch, you got to have your homework done. And clean your room and walk the dog and take out the garbage. But then there was also the, you know, public service announcements that, you know, cartoons in our day had at the end of the thing. Yep, like remember G.I. Joe, knowing is half the battle. <laughs> yep, G.I. Joe had it. Mask had it. He-Man, I think, had a few. Transformers had a few. But it would like G.I. Joe was probably the most well-known one. Okay, because okay, here's how they would usually go for those who may be too young to remember them or never saw them. Usually it would have some scene like, okay, maybe there'd be a couple of boys, they'd be by a fire alarm. And one of the boys would be like, hey, let's pull this fire alarm. And when the fire department gets here, they'll find there'll be no fire. Won't that be funny? And, you know, then, of course, one of the members of G.I. Joe would show up and say something like, you know, you shouldn't pull that fire alarm because that means the fire department's going to come out here for nothing. And that might keep them away from someone who really needs help and. You know, then they'd be like, well, we never thought of it that way, and now we know. And then, of course, now you know, and knowing is half the battle. Yep. So that brings up a question. If knowing is half the battle, what's the other half of the battle? Everything else. Yeah, I think it's like 25% blue lasers and 25% red lasers. Remember those? Yep. Yeah, the guys, the bad guys. Yeah, because back then, of course, uh, with you know, kids media like G.I. Joe, they weren't shooting bullets, they were always shooting lasers. And I think, of course, well, I don't know, I mean, the 80s were a lot different in many ways than cartoons nowadays, I think. I don't do you really watch many cartoons, or? Uh, not really nowadays, because cartoons that are out nowadays really no longer interest me. Even though... I've gone and gotten some box sets of some of the old cartoons that I used to watch. I don't have a chance to see as many cartoons as I used to. When my son was younger, you know, he would watch stuff like SpongeBob and uh, Go Diego Go, um, you know, the Backyardigans, Little Einsteins when he was young. 
Really, the only newer cartoons I've seen are, you know, I, I watched Transformers Prime uh, for a while. I haven't caught the Robots in the Skies, the, the follow-up to that. But I don't know. In some ways, I think that there was a little bit more violence in the cartoons we watched when we were kids. I think they were less shy about doing military-themed cartoons. Like, like I said, we had G.I. Joe, you know, and Transformers, which is, and of course, I know Transformers is still around, but, you know, Transformers is essentially a story about war. Do you think maybe that has to do with just the attitude of the 80s where, you know, we were in this Cold War with Russia and Russia was seen as this big, scary monster? So that made it, you know, maybe make more sense to have shows like G.I. Joe, let's see, was it Chuck Norris, Karate Commandos? And do you believe they actually had a Rambo cartoon? Yeah, even had a Mr. T one. Yep. But seriously, Rambo, whose idea was it to take a, someone in an R-rated movie and turn it into an after-school cartoon? That's or a Saturday cartoon. So admit it, Steve, did you join the Navy because you saw the character Shipwreck on G.I. Joe and you thought that if you joined the Navy, you would get to wear the little white hat and have the parrot? <laughs> No. Uh, hmm. Let me see. Yeah, but I can't grow a beard though. Yeah, I, they. That's right. They. I, yeah, they. Isn't it like they only let you have mustaches or? Yep. But and that's got to be within certain regulations. Yep. Well, moving on. So we've talked about cable TV and cartoons, things we like to watch on TV. So it makes sense to go transition to the next topic: home media players. Of course, start out in the days VHS and then eventually moving on to DVD and Blu-ray. And I, I know your family had a VHS player before I did. Now, did do you remember, did you have a VCR or did you ever have a Betamax? Uh, I think we started with Beta before uh, we, we got our first uh, VHS. I can remember the first movie we ever saw on a VHS player. I remember... My sister was having a sleepover for her birthday party, and she begged my parents to let us rent a VCR, or it may have been a beta. I don't remember which one it was, but I remember The Last Unicorn was the first movie I ever saw in a VHS at home, and I remember going to the store to rent it, and I have no idea how much it would have cost back then, but I remember my parents having a bitch of a time trying to get that thing hooked up. Do you remember the first thing that you saw on VHS, or? Uh, I can't say I did. I remember, you know, my parents did a lot of recording off of TV. Yeah, and that's where one of the things where it was nice to have friends who did have VHS players. Because, of course, if you only had one TV in the house, or if you had only one TV cooked up to the cable, then, well, if, like, mom and dad wanted to watch something you know, you were pretty much out of luck, which was nice, of course, when you had the VHS, the VCR, because then you could record it. At least one other channel. Yeah, and uh, that was always nice because, you know, occasionally remember how they would have the, you know, the TV specials like, you know, the Garfield Halloween special or Charlie Brown, Brown Christmas special. and um, oh, the Playmation. Yeah, remember the California Raisins one? Yep. Because I remember actually seeing that at your house. Um, like I said, I don't know if you remember or not, but I remember I wanted to see it, but we weren't going to be around. And I remember my parents asked your parents if we could tape it, if you could tape it for us. So I remember coming over and watching it. So 
again, this is another of those things for some of some any younger listeners might not be aware, but uh, back then they used to have the California raisins, you know, these claymation raisins that would sing songs and uh, they were used to advertise raisins, of course. And what was the song they always sang? Heard it through the grapevine. Yeah, that was their theme song. Yeah, and there was a special they had where Christmas and holiday songs animated to claymation. I liked it. I don't know, so I don't know if you remember that special or not. Yeah, my my dad actually has the uh, a videotape of it still. Yeah, and then I remember my we got our first VCR in either '88 or '89 because I remember my sister and I saved up for it. Because uh, I had a paper out at the time, and uh, my sister was, I think she was working at either Kentucky Fried Chicken or a grocery store. And my parents, they didn't want to buy a VCR. So they, you know, said, but if, you know, you save up for it, you can go half and half. And like I said, I, I remember it cost like a hundred some dollars, which I don't know how much that would cost in today's money. But yeah, I remember the first show I tried to take was a Gallagher special and you remember Gallagher of course right oh yeah good old legomatic yep uh, again he was a for anyone who doesn't know I have a feeling I'm gonna be we're gonna be saying that phrase a lot in this uh two-parter here for those who don't know or for those too young to remember but Gallagher was a stand-up comedian that would he was famous for doing a lot of prop comedy but he's really famous for his legomatic want to tell us about the legomatic Steve Good old Sledgematic. It sucked for those in the first couple rows of the audience. Yep. So, uh, basically, so basically I'd... what he would do is he'd bring up this nice little, like, wood table slash, you know, cutting board, solid block worth of stuff. And then he'd start breaking out food. Yep. Like watermelon. And then would introduce his Sledgematic, which was a big wooden hammer. He'd go swing it like he was at a carnival, hit the fruit, and just watch it spray all over the audience. Ah, yes. And, of course, the first people in the first couple rows of a Gallagher show always had, uh, you know, advice to bring the plastic so that they didn't have to go home with covered in junk. But I remember that special. I, I didn't set the VCR correctly, and it ended up taping Yo! MTV raps instead of the Gallagher special. But... Of course, VCR did last for a while, but, you know, eventually gave way to DVD. I never actually had a DVD player until after I got married because uh, my wife happened to have one. See, but when did DVDs players first start to become popular, you know? or Around the time that we started getting uh, disc game systems like PlayStation and Xbox. Okay, so about the late 90s or so? Probably. Yeah. And... Which... You know, of course, it was nice because not only did you have that better picture quality, but, you know, the scene selections and the thing I really liked about the DVDs, of course, is you could put more information on them. So being able, I always loved it when they would include like extra features, especially like deleted scenes and bloopers. Or uh, alternate ending. Yep. Uh, alternate endings were always fun and uh, commentary tracks could be fun to listen to every now and then. I listened to them Every so often, do you ever do you ever really get into commentary tracks or not really? Well, uh, I do it once in a while just to see what it's like, but pretty much I don't do the commentary ones. The thing I like about watching them is every now and then you you, you get 
you'll have like the director or a screenwriter who gives you kind of like the behind the scenes. Uh, sometimes you'll have stars commentating about the scene and if something was challenging or something interesting that happened. Do you ever miss VHS? Not not nowadays anymore. So, yeah, I, I still have a VHS player. Yeah, and I still have a soft spot in them, but I, I know there's some people that like VHS better than DVD, but I really like DVD. Have you moved up to Blu-ray yet? or? No, not yet. But, uh, yeah, I'm getting there. <laughs> probably when I break down and get an Xbox One or a PS4, and probably when I'm going to get my first Blu-ray player. Well, of course, since technology does change, eventually our DVDs gave way to Blu-rays, which I know there was also the... There are a couple of formats we're forgetting here because they didn't really get much prominence. Do you remember Super VHS and high-definition DVDs? I also remember Laserdisc. Oh, yep, Laserdisc is another one, which uh, that one was, again, it was supposed to be more of a collector's format, but yeah, it just kind of fell by the wayside and never really caught on. Well, from the way I saw it, it was like the precursor to the DVD. Yeah, because it was like the size of a LP, you know, and then they shrunk it down. Yeah, and the... Because the thing that was so revolutionary about uh, the Laserdisc is, you know, yeah, you got a little better picture quality, better sound quality, and unlike a DVD, I'm sorry, unlike a VHS tape, you could just skip to a next track instead of having to uh, fast forward it like you would with a tape. And then also with the Laserdiscs, you could also do commentary tracks as well. Now, I never had a Laserdisc player, but I have worked with them. When I used to work at a planetarium, we had a few Laserdisc players that we would use for the videos that we would use for our shows. So it's a format that I've had some experience working with. But, you know, of course, DVDs are a lot, you know, as you mentioned, they're smaller, they're a lot more portable. Uh, you can play them on a computer and... You know, of course, the DVD eventually gave way to Blu-ray. Well, not entirely. I mean, you can still get uh, DVDs, but, you know, a lot of times what they're doing, I think, to boost Blu-ray sales is it's not uncommon to see a Blu-ray movie that includes a DVD copy as well. Now, have you gotten much into the Blu-rays yet? No. Like I said, uh, I'm pretty much uh, holding off until... Maybe I get a PS4 or a Xbox One. It's probably when I'm going to get my first Blu-ray player. We have one, but we don't really use it very often. Uh, I think the main reason is usually when I want to watch a movie, I just go into Netflix. And I usually don't buy movies when they first come out. So, I don't know. Like I said, we've got a Blu-ray player. I just don't use it very often. But you mentioned the LP. Uh, vinyl records. That brings us to our next step as we move from home media to talking about music and music players. Now, I remember the, the LP, uh, again, for those too young to remember, or those who may not know, uh, they were, what, about like 16, 14, 16 inches or so for a, a standard LP? Probably. Of course, uh, looking at Barnes, Barnes & Nobles lately. LPs are making a comeback. Yeah. 
I know there are still some bands that, and some musicians that still release vinyl records, at least in a limited. And one of the debates, supposedly LPs, you know, vinyl records, they give you a warmer, uh, more rich sound than like a cassette tape or a CD. Have you listened to enough LPs to really tell the difference or not really? Well, not really anything that I had, you know, comparable to at the time. Yeah, because we had a record player when I was a kid. And I remember there were some albums I did have. My sister had the Michael Jackson's Thriller album. I remember I had the album version of uh, Return of the Jedi where it was just select voice clips from it. Of course, it wasn't the entire movie. And then I see another one I remember we had was Duran Duran's was it Seven in the Ragged Tiger, I think. Uh, and then, of course, my parents had tons of LPs. Did you really get many records, or for you, was it mostly your parents? It was mostly my parents that uh, had the LPs that I listened to. I just listened to what they had. Yeah, because I really got more into cassette tapes. Which, same, same with me. Yeah, because now, in between, we did have the eight tracks, but... uh. I don't know. We had an eight track player when I was a kid and my family did have a cup, a few eight tracks, but it wasn't something we really listened to because our eight track player didn't really work. Um, at least it didn't work all the time. I'm not sure what was wrong with it, but yeah, cassette tapes, I'd say I actually kind of like cassettes better than I like CDs. What about you? Like a DVD to a VHS. CDs does have its advantages other than uh, over uh, cassettes. Where cassettes have some things over uh, CD, like uh, there was the Walkman, which is the portable cassette player. And then when the the CDs came out, they had what they called the Disc Man. Yep. But the problem was with a lot of Disc Man, if you like go running with it, you know, with all the running you did. It caused the uh, track to start skipping. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why I always got more into cassettes than CDs. When I was a kid, I had a paper out for a couple years, so I would listen to my Walkman usually when doing my paper out. And I just like taking walks listening to my uh, to tapes. And, you know, eventually when I got to college, I did a lot of walking and jogging, so... You know, it's not something I could do with a, a disc band for the reason that you mentioned. Now, there was one format, a player. I used to have one of these. They never really caught on. But have you ever seen a disc man? Or I'm sorry, not a disc man, a mini disc player? Yeah, I, I've seen them. I also saw the mini cassette players, too. Never got into the mini cassettes. Um, See, around... I'm trying to think, because I think the... The mini disc players first started to come in, first started to come to the market around the late '90s, and the mini disc was supposed to be the mid ground between a CD and a cassette tape. Because around this time, again, this is where MP3s started to really gain popularity, because now you could have digital music. Eh, of course, one of the problems with MP3s, yeah, they're easily distributed over the internet, which of course led to piracy. But we're not going to get into that subject. But the early MP3 players, you know, before, you know, your iPods and 
I'm not sure what other brands of uh, MP3 players are. Out there. and all that other stuff. Yeah, they're, they used to have these flash players. And the problem with the flash players is, you know, they, they couldn't hold a lot of music. And I think a lot of them didn't really have a very good battery life. And that's where the mini disc player was. It was, it was kind of a poor man's MP3 player. It wasn't that big. It was maybe about two and a half inches by two and a half inches. And, you know, you had, well, maybe it's closer to three, but it said it wasn't that big. But you had a disc you put in there. And like a, a cassette tape, you could record over the disc. It held maybe, I'm wanting to say they held anywhere between like 90 to 90 minutes to two hours worth of music. So, okay, not as much as your, you know, your early iPods, but, you know, more than most cassette tapes could hold. And like a CD, you could skip tracks and it gave you nice, clear sound. Uh, the, like I said, the only problem is you did have these discs that you had to switch out whenever you wanted new songs. But I think one of the things that didn't really make these appealing is digital rights management. Because the I had a Sony mini disc player, and the way that worked is you had a computer program that you would use to transfer music from your computer to the mini disc player. However, you could only check a song out three times. So if I put it on three different discs, then you know I couldn't put that song on a fourth one. And of course, this is to prevent people from making pirated copies of mini discs to distribute. But I don't remember ever seeing a band actually releasing any album commercially as a mini disc. Mini discs were more nice for the people who wanted to make the mix, you know, like mixtapes to like run to or meditate or walk to or whatever. Yeah. So, of course, MP3 players are pretty much the king. And why not? I mean, they're nice. They're convenient. Uh, do you have an MP3 player? Or? Yeah, I got a little portable one. But the other thing I got is an iPod. Yeah, because I don't have an iPod anymore. I just have my iPhone that I used to listen to music. But yeah, I I admit I I adapted the MP3s as soon as I could. I I really don't. I don't know about you, but I really don't buy CDs anymore. I mean, if there's like a rare CD I'm looking for that I happen to see at a used bookstore or CD store, I'll get it. But usually whenever I want new music, I usually just go to iTunes and download it there. So do you still buy physical media or have you switched pretty much to just the digital media? Yeah, I still get the uh, albums once in a while. I've cut down a lot. Same with movies, you know, cut down on the ones that I, I like. Yeah, I usually don't buy a lot of movies anymore. Um, again, I think it's just because whenever I do want to watch a movie, I'll usually uh, go Netflix. Well, this is, this is going to bring us to the end of part one. So for some of the things that we've talked about with like cable TV, cartoons, VHS, home media players, and music, is there anything you miss or anything you don't miss about any of these formats we've talked about? Well, other than uh, when you see some of them, you know, it brings back a little nostalgia. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is, again, that whole nostalgia factor. 
I mean, I still have a bunch of cassettes. I really don't listen to them anymore, but like I said, it's kind of neat to have them just for the nostalgia factor. Uh, again, CDs and DVDs, those things, of course, last a lot longer than your cassette tapes do. So, well, one thing I don't miss, though, is the days of having to, you know, buy tapes to record everything. I, I like how with the DVR setting that, you know, they get with cable, usually you can record a lot of videos there. It's not like a VHS where you can only record like three, four hours. And let's say you do record a few hours of your favorite sitcom, then you have the problem, okay, well, do I save it or do I tape over it to see this movie that I really want to tape? But I guess, I don't know, I think the younger generation, sometimes I think they don't know how good they have it. What about you? Yeah, I have to agree with you. Because uh, a lot of the things nowadays uh, people are taking for granted is like I mentioned earlier, you know, when I was at my grandparents' house when I was young, in order to do anything with the TV, you actually had to get out of the chair, <laughs> walk to the TV to either, you know, turn it on, turn it off, change the channel, or adjust the volume. Volume one was the one that sucked the most. Yep. Turn that down. God dang it. I got to get up. Yep. Oh. And I'd say one thing, another thing that I kind of miss, but I kind of don't. Remember I was talking about how, you know, you had the anticipation of your special episodes. And also you had the anticipation of, you know, being there to watch your favorite show after school or on Saturday morning. You don't really have that as much anymore. I don't, I mean... You know, because like I said, cartoons, you can watch pretty much whenever you want. And if you miss something, well, if you're not going to be around, you can usually record it if you have a DVR or you can just watch it on the Internet. So, I don't know. In a way, that's one thing that I kind of miss, but kind of don't. I'm sorry, what was that? And on some channels, you know, some programs where, you know, before they have that new episode for the week, the uh, program that's like right before it is like last week's episode. Yeah. The case, if you miss it, it's like, oh, here, here, here's another chance to see it if you accidentally missed it and didn't have a chance to record it. Yeah. I will say one thing I don't miss. I really don't miss CDs very much. And again, like I said, I just never got into them. I usually preferred my cassette players and then eventually my mini disc player, my, my MP3 player when I moved on to that. So... Well, this is, of course, just scratching the surface. Uh, next time, we are going to be talking about other types of technology that's changed from our lives, like computers and video games and, you know, other gadgets and gizmos that maybe we take for granted nowadays. Any closing thoughts, Steve? Other than, you know, where some of us uh, older generation, you know, where we actually had to do stuff in order to enjoy a laid-back life. You know, you, you get the younger generation now, it's like they're taking a lot of things for granted nowadays. Yeah, because you think it's because everything's become so commonplace. Yeah, commonplace or easy access. Now, Steve, you're not sounding like a grumpy, crotchety old man. You're supposed to be like, you kids today, you don't know how good you have it. Way back when I was your age, when we wanted to change the channel or we had to change the volume, we had to get up off our butts and we had to walk to the TV and we liked it. 
We loved it. And, oh, that hurts my voice. <laughs> Sorry. Well, don't forget, Al. You're the older of us. <laughs> yeah, well, not by much. I'm only about a month older than you. So, but, well. Yeah, but uh, that was one month to tease you with. Yep, that's one month you can tease me before you also hit the big four zero. So, well, I uh, hope you enjoyed this first part of our changing technology episode. So, like I said, we got more uh, discussions coming up with our next changing technology episode. So, thank you for listening. Uh, remember, you can find me at poigamestudio.com. You can also look up Point of Insanity Game Studio on Facebook. Please feel free to like the page. I do appreciate it. Uh, you can subscribe to the Geekery in General podcast through iTunes, as well as download it or subscribe to it through the Podbean app. With that said, thank you for joining us. Have a good evening or morning or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are. And Well, we didn't really talk too much about gaming this episode, so can I really end it by saying happy gaming? No, I don't think so. Uh, happy watching cable TV with 500 channels while listening to your MP3 player that holds 5,000 songs. Well, ah, you get the picture. Good night, everybody. Talk to you guys later.